Welcome back to Faith by Hearing podcast. We look forward to bringing you a great conversation with missionary Bobby Bonner as he shares some of the stories that God allowed him to experience there in Africa and the great work that they were able to accomplish and also some life-changing truths along the way. The conversation will take the next two episodes of Faith by Hearing, so we hope that you enjoy. I'm on the road, I would always call him, let him know where I was, what I'm doing. I think accountability is very, very important. Mm-hmm. You don't just don't sneak in somewhere. You make sure everybody knows where you're at, what you're doing, where you, what, what's going on. So Mark's always been that accountability prayer partner for me. So when he called me 12 years ago when I was in my physical situation, uh, what are you doing, Bobby? You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm trying to get the strength to get back to Africa. And he said, why don't you come out and be my associate? I said, I got to have somebody I can trust. Got to have somebody that's going to have my back, not try to take over the pastorate, just play whatever position I ask him to play. And I said, well, I can't come unless I bring I am. He said, well, that's the first thing I want you to bring. I want you to bring I am into our church and because uh, we've supported you guys for years. Mm. So you have freedom to do what you can. Just help me when you can. Yeah. So I am is international African missions. And this is a result of the mission work that you started there. In yes. Zambia, when right? I, uh, about, uh, 2001, I started having some major health issues, heart attack, my first heart attack in 2001. And then 2002, another one, 2003, another one, Mm -hmm. 2004. So I'm like six months in Africa, six months, you know, after my heart recovery and that type of thing back and forth. And then I had two blood clots go in my heart and explode, destroyed 70% of my heart. So doctor said I could never go back to Africa again. If I, I mean, I was on my back for about 14 months in rehab, recovery, ICU so many times. So I had no strength. I couldn't breathe. It's like I couldn't. I could. I couldn't walk upstairs. So I had to sleep in a recliner for six months in the in the living room, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought my life was over. I said, "God, just take me home." You know, I, I can't do nothing. And uh, then all of a sudden, God just reminded me of the the men that I've trained over there. They need supplies. They need Bibles. They mm. need. Sunday school material. They need help. We we started a little bush hospital, so we need nurses and doctors, and so all that kind of stuff. So I just said, Lord, help me to help them. Yeah. So uh, I was reading in the book of Exodus one day at a Perkins restaurant with a pastor friend of mine. We were going through some verses, and we were at Exodus, and uh, where God tells Moses, you know, or Moses asked God, who Shall I tell the nation of Israel, who are you? What's your name? Yeah. And he says, tell them I am. Hath sent thee. And I went, I am. And the pastor looked at me and it was like international African missions. That's so awesome. Let's just name it after God because it's been a God thing since the very beginning. Yeah. It's been God working. It hasn't been our work. It's been what he did and what he's doing. And we just had the privilege and honor to be a part of it. Yeah. So if someone wants to find out about I Am Ministries, they can go to what? what's the website? I was looking at it last website night. website is yeah. www.internationalafricanmissions.org. .org. And, and on there you have, I saw you 
you could buy a pastor a bicycle. Right. You can send him a Bible or, yeah. or help send Bibles. Right. And our, our three goals of I am number one is to awareness. We're trying to make I am aware of the Nate, the churches in America aware of what we've been doing. Yeah, because a lot of people don't know. Absolutely, they, they, they don't know what's taking place. You know, we've seen. Over a half a million people respond and make professions of faith. We've uh, been able to establish over 300 churches in five different countries. Uh, we have five training institutes that train specifically uh, pastors in the bush. And then we have two deaf orphanages that we started. We have a little bush hospital. So we're constantly training and teaching and the gospel goes out. You know, we in our clinic. Everyone that comes to our clinic, we give them a pill. We give them the gospel. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, so no matter what they come in for, we make sure they hear the gospel of yeah. Jesus Christ because that's the power of God. And in that area of the world, they have no hope. And the mm. only hope is in Christ. Right. He's the hope of glory. This is, um, this is something that happens, I don't know, probably once or twice a year. I have a moment where I think, I'm the only one doing anything or I know everyone who's doing anything and we're not doing enough. And then I have this moment like happened with you for me about 10 years ago. And I think probably for a lot of folks, either because of you preaching for us this weekend or even this podcast is happening for them now where they think, man, God has people in places doing a work that you and I have never heard of, never know about, but he always has a people delivering his word for him someplace. And I think we get to heaven one day and we think, man, I'm such a big deal. I was the only one. And we get there and we're like, oh, wait, there's a guy in Zambia and there's this person in Russia and there was this, these people in India and well, I don't know them, you know, they, they can't possibly have done, be doing anything. Right. And it's, it's humbling when you think about the way in which the Lord has people in places serving him. Absolutely. Uh, it's just amazing. Again, you know, you have these plans in your mind, in your heart, what you think you're going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get over to where God, you know, has opened the door for you to, and all of a sudden your world gets sort of rocked. You know, I mean, I thought I was going to go over. I thought I was going to lead people to Christ, of course, and start a church. And maybe after three or four years, you know, train a pastor and then go to another location, do that. And and as soon as we got to Zambia, because I, I stick out like a sore thumb. You know, I mean, I'm the only white guy, you know, in the town. You know, so I'm the, as they say in Zambia, I'm the Mazungu. And that's the Swahili word for honky. So I'm the hon- I'm the Mazungu. So, so people, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know. And I said, Well, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. He said, Well, tell me about Jesus. So they'd get saved. Mm. So I can't leave them on the street. Right. So you know, I'm inviting them to my house, and we're having studies for hours. They're asking questions, and then somebody says, Well, will you go to my village? And I said, Sure. So we'd go to a village. And so we drove out there and 30, 40 people in the village, they all sit underneath the tree. And I look at the guy and I go, well, what do they know? And they go, I don't know anything. And I say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, you know, and you go through that and you explain. Of course, they already know there's a God. Yeah. 
I've never met an atheist in the bush, you know, like point to the sky and say, Balesa, which is the Lord, you know, he made all that. But they don't know what sin is. Mm-hmm. They don't know who Jesus was. And so make a long story short there, they'll the whole village will get down on their knees. They'll trust Christ as their Savior. They'll throw their charms in the fire and say, no king but Jesus. Well, I can't leave those people. Right. And then somebody that is visiting that village said, well, will you come to my village? They need to hear this. So the next day I went over to the other village. So same thing happened. So I'm in Zambia the first year I'm there. I've got 19 locations where I'm teaching. I'm teaching Monday morning from 9 to 12 in one village, 2 to 5 in another village, and 7 to 10 in another village, Monday through Saturday and then preach, picking two places to preach on Sunday. And that was the first year I was there. Wow. So I'm basically pastoring 19 churches, and I'm not a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife used to look at me and go, you're not pastor material. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you got no mercy. I said, pastors have to have mercy. You always tell everybody, rub some dirt on it and get back out there. Quit listening to the crowd. Just play some ball. Yeah. You know, and... I grew up with other br- older brothers that used to beat the snot out of me. And so they rub some dirt on her. Don't go cry to mama. Get back in the game. You know, so that's. This so. is a, that's a perfect place to plug your book, right? Because you <laughs> yeah. have a new book out. Yeah, rub it. some dirt on it. Yeah. And uh, really, I, I, I've skimmed through it. And there's sev- several questions I want to just have a conversation with you about on it. But I, I think the, the back of the book probably summarizes it the best, right? Bonner shares how he went from a life of chaos and depression to one of victory through Jesus Christ, eventually following him to the to the mission field. Through every difficult circumstance, he was reminded of his brother's words, rub some dirt on it and get back in the game. Filled with biblical truth, personal antidotes, Bonner's story is one of encouragement and hope. And God has used you in a tremendous way in Zambia, and we definitely want to talk about that and let you share some of the experiences, difficulties, stories from that. But Zambia wasn't always your dream. You're drafted by the Orioles. You're playing Division One baseball at Texas A&M. You played minor league baseball, essentially, uh, in Rochester. And a lot of people would hear that about you and say, that's the dream. But as you share in the book and as you share, even through your preaching, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't really a dream. Um, Share some of the struggles that you were going through at that time, even facing injuries on the field, off the field and, and talk about how really the Lord took what you thought was going to be your dream. It became a nightmare but he gave you a much better dream in, in place of it. Well, you know, I grew up uh, in Texas. I grew up, you know, with my cousins in the country, the hill country of Texas until I was 11. And then we moved to a city called Corpus Christi, Texas. And so my older brothers are both in the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame. They were tremendous ball players. And so, but they cut everything short after they got out of high school and they went into the military because the draft was still going on. So my senior year, they did away with the draft. Mm. Otherwise, I'd probably be, you know, that would have been where I went in the military. So no one in my family had ever gone to college. So growing up as a young boy, all I wanted to do was play ball. 
I wanted to play football, basketball, baseball. I, I Whatever had a ball. My mama told me the first word I ever said when I was a little baby before I could walk. Wasn't mama. Wasn't papa. It was ball. <laughs> and then I would push around a basketball all the time. And it'd go under the bed and I'd cry to one of my brothers got it for me. And so I just... So, man, I'm, I'm throwing stuff. I mean, I'm playing ball and... Uh, I started out, of course, I love football because my brothers played football when they're walking their steps. And so I had four knee operations before I got out of high school. Wow. And so my senior year in high school, my high school baseball coach had played with the Oakland Athletics. And so I didn't even realize at that time I really had the potential to play Major League Baseball. But he said, don't you understand you're going to be drafted in the June draft? I said, really? I said, as what? He said, as a pitcher. Hmm. Because I had such a strong arm. And when I was in high school, I averaged about 17 strikeouts every seven innings, and I didn't walk anybody. Got a 90-mile-an-hour fastball back in those days. That was, you know, anyway. So, But I didn't want to pitch. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play every day. I, I don't like sitting the bench. I never like sitting the bench. So I want to be in a game. Put me in. Put me in, coach, you know. So... Um, I was drafted actually in the 10th round by the Montreal Expos out of high school when I was 17. And I was going to sign because mm. they were going to pay for my college. They were going to give me a like $28,000 bonus. Oh, know, wow. Plus my education of my choice, whatever school I wanted to go to. And I was going to play ball. I was, I was going to sign. And then my brother, KK, uh, said, took me to his house and we had dinner. And he said, listen, brother, he said, Please go to college. Don't don't sign. Please don't sign. Go to college. Be the first one in the family to get an education. So I love my brother so much. So I I said, okay, I'll go to college. So I had a lot of scholarship offers. University of Texas, Arizona, Arizona State, Oklahoma came in, but they all wanted me to pitch. Mm. I didn't want to pitch because no one thought my legs could hold up playing shortstop. So the Texas A&M coach came into town, took me to lunch, and he said, I need a shortstop. He said, if you'll sign with us, you'll play short for me for four years, and wow. you won't pitch. So I signed with A&M. And so I went there. Um, um, freshman, I started. I started all four years. And back in those days, you didn't play as many games as they have now. Mm. You know? So my junior year, I was drafted by the Kansas City Royals. And I was going to sign, but my coach came back and <laughs> vanity, vanity. You know, you're getting ready to break all these records, you know, if you'll come back your senior year. So uh, I came back my senior year. I set 19 records at the time. Of course, they're all broken now, but, you know, yeah. at the time. So, and then I was drafted by the Orioles in wow. the third round in 1978. And uh, Bobby Boyce, I think, was number one draft pick. And then the second round pick was Cal Ripken Jr., and Mike Boddicker and Larry Sheets. They had three picks in the second round. And all those guys made it to the show. And then I was drafted in the third round. So I was actually their fifth player chosen, but I went in the third round. Wow. Yeah. And you, at that point in your life, are running from the Lord? You know the Lord? I am lost. I was brought up uh, in a good family. Mm-hmm. My To this day, my dad... Uh, I mean, he got saved later in life, hallelujah. But when growing up, he was not a, he was not a Christian. Um, we did not go to church, uh, 
except for a funeral or a uh, wedding. <laughs> I would often ask my dad, why don't we go to church? Why don't we go? Everybody, all my friends, all your friends go, dad. They all go. Ah, church where the hypocrites go, son. He said, my best friends are deacons in the church down there. They run around and drink all the time. I said, I'm not going to be that way. My dad had some principles. My dad was, you know, fought in World War II. He fought on the USS Enterprise in the Battle of Midway. That wow. really changed the course, if you know anything about history. And uh, when the Jeff bombed Pearl Harbor, we lived on a ranch, 40 miles from town, no electricity, no phone. My mom had my two little, was pregnant with KK, and Sid was a one-year-old. And then my dad joined the Navy and went off to fight and left my, my mom and those two little babies 40 miles from town with a milk cow and chickens. And she didn't see him for two years. Oh, my. You know, and so my mom was a tough character. She's about 4'11", 90 pounds, and she, could she swing a belt? Man? I mean, so, <laughs> so my, my two older brothers were born, and uh, again, you know, but uh, that's how I was brought up. Um, my dad was the best man I ever knew. Um, I, got, I got whooped. <laughs> Only on two reasons. The corporal punishment in our house was based on two factors and that alone because he would say boys are going to be boys you're going to get in trouble i got no problem you know you're going to fight it whatever he said but i'm going to spank you if you lie to me mm -hmm. i'm gonna whoop you if i catch you in a lie and number two you better show respect mm. so if you don't respect if you get whooped at school i'm going to whoop you when you get home because the teacher's always right i mean that's that's so i didn't i didn't tell him when i got whooped at school okay <laughs> Which I'm guessing happened. <laughs> yeah, it happened a few times. You know, it's like back then, you know, the Board of Correction, you know, it was like a it was like a badge, you know. You yeah. had to get hit by the coach at least a couple of times, you know. And so uh but uh so I had got a few of those. But I was a pretty actually a pretty good student, but I started experimenting with drugs when I was in ninth grade through twelfth grade. So as hard as I played ball, as hard as I practiced, I, I smoked dope. I did pills. There was even a time in uh, in high school where I put a shotgun in my mouth and I was seconds away from blowing my head off. And I just I put it down for some reason, and I'm thankful I did. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, but uh, so I, it was nobody really knew of this other life. You know, you can fool a lot of people. You know, mm -hmm. so I had a, a dual life there. Everybody thought. Man, Bonner, scholarship, baseball player, you know, made the first ever high school all-star first team in Texas, played in the very first all-star game as a senior in the Astrodome, you know, right out of high school. So I was voted um, in the whole nation. I was the first team All-American. I hit 525, uh, you know, my senior in high school. And so, uh, uh, you know, I just – Sky was the limit, you know. Right. Yeah. And then I went off and started those four years at A and M, and then I signed with the Orioles in '78. And by the way, I got to back up just a little bit. I got married as a freshman, so <laughs> I married my high school sweetheart Becky. So, so but and Becky was raised in a Christian home. She hmm. got saved when she was 14, backslid, and married me. So we're living a life, you know, like heathen life, you know, her yeah. too, me too. And so 
I get hurt my my first year of pro ball in the minor leagues, double A ball, and almost ruined my career. So I was hurting so bad. I, the pills they were giving me weren't helping, so I'd drink myself into passing out. That's the only way I could sleep. So when I got back after the season was over, I, I thought my career was over. I was uh, – I had no hope. I, mm. I was very miserable. Uh, I was a bartender there at College Station, and I was getting drunk every day. And and uh, my wife had rededicated her life to the Lord. So she was reading her Bible, praying, going to church. And I look at her and I go, who are you? She said, well, I'm a Christian. I said, when did that happen? She said, when I was 14. I said, wait a minute. You've been married to me for four years. You know, he said, well, I was backslidden when I married you. Of course, I didn't even know what that term <laughs> meant, you know. And so at night I would wake up and I'd feel these hands on me. And I'd open my eyes and I'd look and my wife's praying, mm. God save my husband. God, whatever it takes, bring him to his knees and save his soul. She did that every day. Man, I got fed up with it. I, you know, Well, she asked me one day, she said, honey, I'll never ask you anything else in the world, but will you come to church with me this Sunday, please? I did not know it. There was a revival taking place in Bryan, Texas. It was like a tent revival. And an old-time preacher was there giving the gospels, all gospel. And uh, so I went that Sunday morning, mm. and I heard the gospel. And I'm gripping that chair in front of me, and I'm on the back row, and I'm thinking, <clears throat> there is a God. I know there's a God. I know there's a hell, and that's where I'm going. I'm going to hell. I know. Mm. There's no way God can forgive me. I'm a rotten husband. I'm a rotten teammate i'm just rotten to the core i'm a drunk i'm a, I'm, I'm into drugs i'm into just whatever mm -hmm. no way god can love me and then the preacher turned to calvary and talked about why jesus died wow he didn't call the righteous call the sinners and so i at the invitation i was at the altar i must have been there brother for an hour just weeping and crying and broken over my sin. And when I got up, I didn't know the Old Testament. I didn't know the New Testament. I didn't know anything other than the guilt was gone mm. and the peace had flooded my soul for the first time in my life. Yeah. And I know you're not based things on feelings, but there was a weight that was gone because of when I called on Jesus Christ to save my soul. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Ephesians 1.13, after I heard the gospel, I believed and I trusted. Mm -hmm. And I just trusted him to save me. And boy, he did. Yeah. And I didn't know I was called a witness, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so I went right back to every one of my friends. Guess what happened to me? I got saved. Jesus Christ is my Savior. And they look at me like, man, you're nuts. And so they left. And I'm going, you, you need Jesus. You need what I got. I got peace. I could sleep for the first time in my life, you know, yeah. with peace. And all of a sudden, my friends just left me. So I'm, I'm there in College Station, Bryan, Texas. And I've got my wife. i got my little girls. And... and um, but I don't have any really 
the church. Revival's gone. The tent's gone. You know, all that stuff's gone. So I'm thinking, I looked at Becky and I said, your, your dad's a Christian. Hmm. I said, pack up. We're going to Corpus Christi. So we loaded up what we had in the back of the car and a U-Haul thing on top. And we showed up at Alfred Petty's house in Corpus Christi, Texas. <laughs> Alfred Petty, man, my father-in-law, he was a... A nut for Jesus. This guy loved Jesus, man. And so when he was in the Navy, he would stand in between the barracks as the guys would come back drunk, and he'd preach to them and pass out tracts to wow. them on the naval base. His best friend was in charge of the uh, PA system, giving announcements at the Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi. So he was in there talking to his buddy, and his, his buddy says, hey, you want to make any announcements? Here they are. Read them out. And he said, yeah. So he went over and grabbed the microphone. He said, I want to report something lost. It's a dying world, and it's going to hell, and Jesus Christ is the answer. And we went all over the base. Wow. So he yanked the microphone from Alfred, you know, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, Alfred's in the psychiatrist, you know, <laughs> bend over there, you know, and he's witnessing the psychiatrist. He just, he loved the Lord. Mm. And so he was an independent wallpaper painter. Well, you know, after I got saved, I didn't even think about ball. I mean, you know, I knew, I didn't know really what I was going to do because I was just so, I don't know, I, this term of expression, I was just high on Jesus, mm -hmm. what he did for, my, for me. So I'm gleaning, Alfred is discipling me. He said, he said, son, let me tell you something. There's two times to serve God. He said, when you feel like it and when you don't. Yeah. He said, because he's worthy in both places. Right. So just keep serving him no matter what. And I got to thinking, wow, wow, I can, I can have a platform. About that time, my phone rings. It's my brother, KK. Hmm. He called me on the phone. He said, hey, I just want you to know that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I go, what? I go, I did too. I got <laughs> saved. And so, we're, so here's my brother, my, my hero. He got saved. I got saved. And, and so we're talking. And all of a sudden, I, I asked KK, I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, man, I, I, I'm going to Africa as a missionary. Hmm. I go, really? I said, Africa? And he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back and play ball. And I'm going to use my platform to preach Jesus. Because right. people will, because I got a uniform on, they'll, they'll come. And so, boom. we. So I went to spring training in 79. And I got a little pocket Gideon New Testament that I carried around in my back pocket. And every time we had a break in spring training, I'm reading my Bible and my ball player friends are coming over. I go, Bonner, what, what happened to you? I said, man, I got saved. I said, Jesus, man. They walked away and, you know. And so I got a chance to lead a couple of uh, teammates to Christ right. through spring training. So they sent me back to double A because they weren't sure if I could even play. So I played 79. I was the all-star shortstop in Charlotte, North Carolina for the Baltimore Orioles double A team. So at the end of the season – they asked me to go to Venezuela. Well, 79, we were going to the World Series. If you remember, we played the Pirates mm. in the World Series. And we were up three games to one and ended up losing four to three. And that's another story we can talk about. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I went to Venezuela to play with the Tigres de Aragua uh, in Maracay, Venezuela. So I took my wife and my two kids down there with me. We lived in a hotel room with no air conditioning for three months. Oh, my. And so I played in 90 ball games down there. I made the all-star team down there. And uh, 
it was quite an experience. That's another experience I ought to just write a book about being in Venezuela because <laughs> those people are crazy about their baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hit a home run my first game in Caracas, and we're the visiting club, and all of a sudden I'm rounding first, rounding second, rounding third. I'm coming to the home plate, and as I look up, there's bottles and rocks and fruit. Everybody's trying to hit me. What? We're throwing it from the stands. There's about 35,000 people there, and they're just – they're trying because you hit a home run against the home team, you know. You, they don't like you now. No, no. Yeah. They so you better lose every road game. That's all I got to <laughs> say because man, they're they're throwing knives at you. They're putting little kids up on top of the dugout to try to urinate on you, you know, to oh. distract you. I mean, it's they're shooting bottle rockets at you. You know, we were in Barquisi Meadow. I was playing second base. Davy Concepcion was playing shortstop. You know, big Cincinnati Red, you know, big Red Machine guy because he lived in Maracay. And I'm playing second base, and there's a guy named Patterson, a right fielder. He was from the Oakland A's. And they shoot this rocket, man. I thought it was like, you know, from a cannon, man. I mean, I see it coming in, and it explodes between second base, where I'm playing, and right field, which is Patterson. And this white smoke just, I mean, big as a house. And all of a sudden, I see Mike just running through the smoke, you know, man. He's heading to the dugout. He puts on a helmet, grabs a bat, and he goes, I ain't going back out there. It was crazy down there. So I played that year, made the All-Star team, came back, 1980. Uh, I go to spring training. They send me to AAA. Mm. So I play in Rochester, New York the whole year. I'm International League Rookie of the Year. I made the All-Star team there. It's a shortstop. Uh, 118 games. I had like 580 chances at shortstop. I had a lot of range. I had a good arm. And in the meantime, you know, Cal Jr., he's coming up through the minor leagues, you know, and he's he's playing shortstop too. But when he gets up to Rochester, he's playing third base. Hmm. So if you'll look at the very first baseball card Topps put out, there's three guys on that card. There's Jeff Schneider, who was a pitcher. Cal Ripken Jr. listed as the third baseman, and I'm listed as a shortstop. Wow. So the front office wanted me to play short and Cal to play third. That was going to be the left side of the infield, okay, for the next 10 years or so. So anyway, at the end of 80, I got called up to the big leagues. So I meet the team in Detroit, and I walk in, and I get there early because I'm so excited. I see, I look at the uniforms, you know, number two, Bonner. And sitting in my locker was uh, Brooks Robinson. Mm. He had flown in from Baltimore to interview me. Well, Brooks was one of my three idols as a kid. I had Mickey Mantle, number one. I just and I had Roberto Clemente, yeah, and then Brooks Robinson. So and Brooks was there to interview me. So we're talking, and then a little bit later, I go to meet Earl. I never met Earl. So I walk in the office and I say, "Skip, how you doing? I'm Bobby Bonner." And he looked at me and says, who do you think you are? Hmm. I go, I'm Bobby Bonner, Skip. It's good to meet you. You know, and he goes, who the blankety blank do you think you are? I'm going, I'm a rookie. This has got to be some rookie test. You know, I'm thinking, you know. He said, look, I just got off the phone with the front office. And the front office called me and told me, you're some hot shot shortstop. I got to put you in the lineup. They don't tell me what to do. I'm the manager. And I don't know what type of pressure you're putting on them, but you'll play when I say you play. Oh, wow. I said, Skip, I never said anything to the front office. Mm. He said, well, you just sit and you learn. So I, I set the bench. And so 
played a little bit in 1980 and then uh, 81 uh, went to spring training right but two weeks before spring training I contracted viral hepatitis I was working in the oil fields in South Texas and I uh, got real sick I put in the hospital my liver was inflamed four times its size two weeks before spring training so I'm I'm yellow I'm jaundice so my season's over hmm. Well, I signed a release after four days and got out of the hospital. I was up a week. I flew to spring training. I'd lost 20 pounds. I was skin and skin and bone. And uh, I was still sick, but I just fought my way through it. I remember I was in downtown downtown Miami, DuPont Plaza. And, I mean, my fever's coming back. I'm getting sick. I'm by myself there. And I just, I'm reading the Word of God. I'm reading the Psalms. And it says... uh, Thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. And thou hast considered my troubles. Not shut me up into the hand of the enemy, but thou hast set my feet in a large room. And uh, all of a sudden, brother, my fever just broke. Hmm. You know, I didn't go to a faith healing moment. I didn't go to, you know, Benny Hinn or whatever the case may be. I just, I just had his word. Mm-hmm. And God touched me and healed me. So I ended up hitting like 353 in the big league camp in 1981. And I'm thinking, I'm going north. I'm the starting shortstop. And I got called in. They said, we don't think you're strong enough. We want you to go back down to AAA again. So they sent me back to AAA. Well, I'm, uh, I'm playing pretty good. So I get called back up. So that track that you saw in the picture of me, yeah. that was uh, they uh, Weaver had me lead off against the uh, uh, who was it the Minnesota Twins I think it was or maybe it was Cleveland I think it was Cleveland whoever I can't even remember now, but I remember Jerry Kuzman was pitching. It's the only time I ever let off. So I hit a double off the wall to lead off that game, and then the next day I, I went four for five, and so I played in ten straight ball games. We won all ten. And then the strike was happening in oh, 81 wow. in the big leagues. So my father-in-law had just died, Alfred. So he still had two kids at home. His wife was a home, stay-at-home mom. So who's going to pay their bills? Mm. Who's going to feed the family? So I went into Earl's office, and I said, Earl, would you send me down to the minor leagues? He said, why would I do that? You're here in the big league now. I said, look, if I go on strike, I don't get paid. I said, my father-in-law just died. I said, I'm taking care of them. And so I, I, I got to have an income. So they sent me back down. Oh, well, wow. when I went back down during the strike, I played in the longest game in the history of baseball, 33 innings. What? Yes. 33. Well, the first night was 32. We played eight hours and 10 minutes, and it was two to two after 32 innings. And so we, they called it a tie at 10 after four in the morning. And then we resumed it a couple weeks later, and our pitcher walked the bases loaded and gave up a single, and we lost three to two. In so the thirty third inning. So thirty third inning, we lost. What wow. percentage of the fans stayed till four a.m.? There was four people that stayed, <laughs> and they gave them lifetime passes. Wow. Did they really? Yes. Yeah. I, I got up to the plate fourteen times. I got hit with a pitch. I walked, and I went three for twelve. So I went zero for four. Three for three and like zero for five, you wow. know. So and Ripken was that in AAA. That's when we played together. He played third base the whole game. I played shortstop the whole game, 
And then um, Wade Boggs, if you know anything about him, mm-hmm. he played for Boston. He played third base on the other team, the Pawtucket Red Sox. So, you know, we had two, you know, and then, of course, Boddicker was on our team at the time. So um, so we, we had those 33 innings, man. It was wild. It was crazy. We should have never started the game because at game time, 7 o'clock, the two center field lights went out. Uh-huh. So it was a pitcher's heaven. The wind was blowing straight in, straight in, 30 miles an hour with gusts up to 50. And you can't see because there's no lights. And you look, and the temperature is like 36 degrees before the chill factor. Mm-hmm. It's so cold. You can't feel your hands. You, you, wind's in your face. Tears are coming down, and they're freezing before they fall off your face, you know. And the pitchers, all they had to do was throw it close by because you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it. And people would hit, hit a nice one, but the wind was blowing so hard it never went out of the park. And uh, it was just one of those games, man. We, we scored a run in the, bo- in the top of the ninth. They scored a run in the bottom of the ninth. We scored a run in the top of the 23rd. They scored a run in the bottom of the 23rd. Oh, my goodness. And then, uh, like, the relief pitchers, you know, like went like 10 innings, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it was wild. There was a lot of records set. Matter of fact, that, that game is in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Wow. So a few years ago, I was preaching in a church, and I said, you know, I had two goals in my life, one to put on a big league uniform and one to be in the Hall of Fame. And at that time, I didn't know the game was in the Hall of Fame. I didn't know that. And so I said, well, I said, God gave me one of my two dreams. Well, after the service, a guy walked up. He said, Bobby, you ever been to Cooperstown? I said, no, I've never been. He said, you're in the Hall of Fame. I said, what do you mean I'm in the Hall of Fame? He said, you played in the longest game in the history of baseball, 33 innings. I said, yes, I did. He said, you own the all-time record of baseball, most assist. I had 30-something chances at shortstop, okay? So think about this. If you play a nine-inning ball game and every ball is hit to you, that's 27. Wow. Okay? I had 30-something chances. In no that, in that, in in that the 33 game. inch. So yeah. there's no way that's uh, a record. Of yeah. So in the Hall of Fame, there's a glass case of all the, the records that were set. My name's in there. Wow. So I started crying. I said, you know, God, I guess I got to be specific. <laughs> you know, because I thought I was going to be, you know, long career, be in the Hall of Fame, you know, but it was some fluke game in the minor leagues because of a strike in the big yeah. league, you know. And then, of course, when the strike ended, I got called back up, but I just I spot played, and then uh, I went to spring training in '82. Had the best spring training I ever had in my life. I worked really really hard. I hit 407 in spring training. I hit five home runs. I was seven for seven my last seven at bats in spring training. I'm thinking, man, I made this club. I go north. I set the bench for the first 12 games. Mm. And then I spot played, spot played, and then uh, and uh, the winner of that winter, I stayed up in um, uh, Rochester and preached to a lot of the managers and stuff. So we're heading out to Seattle. I think it's June of '82. We're heading out to play Seattle, and we're on a private plane, of course. You know, United, you know, charter, whatever. So I'm up at the front. Everybody else is in the back getting drunk. And uh, 
I'm up at the front reading my Bible and I hear Bonner, come on back here, Bonner. We want to discuss some stuff with you. And I'm thinking, of course, it's Earl. Mm. So I, I walk back there and they're all just getting blasted. And, and Earl says to me, he says, you think you're better than us, don't you, Bonner? I go, no, sir, I don't. I said, matter of fact, I'm the chief of sinners. Matter of fact, I deserve hell more than anybody on this plane for what I've done. I said, but it's all been forgiven. It's all been washed in the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And he just looked at me. He said, you just, you just think you're better. He said, let me tell you something. I know Jesus. I said, you know Jesus? Really? He said, yeah. He said, let me tell you about this Jesus thing. He said, when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He said, he forgives me because guess what? I don't know what I'm doing. And he had a drink in his hand. He goes, cheers, Bonner. He took a drink. He said, what do you think of that? Hmm. I said, well, Skip, it's not really what I think that matters. I think yeah. it's what God says that matters. Yeah. And I said, right now, you're mocking the grace of Almighty God. Mm -hmm. I said, the Bible says that one day every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I said, I hope you do that before you die, because if you die in the state you're in right now, lost without Christ, you're going to go to hell. But one day, Skip, hell's going to be brought before the throne of God. And you will bow your knee, and then he's going to cast you into the lake of fire. But you don't have to go there if you'll accept him as your Savior. Yeah. Come on. And so he said, so he starts cussing me out. So all the other guys <clears throat> and coaches are in the back too, and they're all looking at us because we're having this conversation. So I said, and I shouldn't have said this, brother. I shouldn't have said this, but I went, when you sober up, I'll be glad to talk about it. I should have never <laughs> said that. I was just, you know. And I turned and walked away. As I turned and walked away, man, I'm, Bonner, you come back here, you self-righteous, blah, 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 you know, and I walk all the way up, and the captain's door, you know, the pilot's door was open, so the co-pilot was getting up, and I was walking up there, they're yelling at me, he said, hey, you want to sit up here? I said, yeah, can I do that? So I sat up with the pilot for a while, you know, in the co-pilot's seat, it was kind of neat, and then, so I'm thinking, I didn't sleep much that. We got there at the hotel, and I'm thinking, I'll never be in the lineup again. I'll never be in the lineup. I get to the ballpark that day. I look. I'm playing. I'm in the, I'm in the game. Mm. So Scotty McGregor's pitching, and uh, he's pitching a one-hit shutout. We're winning one to nothing. Bottom of the ninth inning. One guy on first. He walked a guy. Guy on first. Ball hit up the middle. So I charged the ball. I'm going to catch it, touch second, turn the double play. We win one nothing. Well, when I went down to get the ball, the ball hit the seam of the AstroTurf and hit me in the face. Oh. So it kind of bounced off, so it was an error. The next guy hits a double off the wall, two runs scored, we lose 2-1. to one. Oh, no. I'm in Earl's office right after the game. Oh, man. He – the last thing he said to me was, as long as I'm the manager, I will never – put you in the lineup again never and so i set the bench and i had a big league contract i mean you know i mean you know and so the front office after two weeks of sitting on the bench front office called me and says bobby uh do you mind going back to rochester we need you to play right you just sit and i thought i said well i'm still getting paid the same salary whether i'm in the minor leagues and i love rochester because that's where my home church is first bible baptist church so hey it's okay with me so i got sent down and of course i got called back up at the end of the season 
And but he didn't play me. I needed one game, one game to get a twenty five thousand dollar bonus, and I set the bench rest of the game, rest of the season. And so at the end of the season, if you know anything about baseball, Earl gets fired. It's kind of a semi forced retirement, but he gets he gets fired. Joe Altabelli becomes our manager, mm. which big baseball guy. He's from Rochester. I know Joe very well, so I'm thinking. Now, he's moved Ripken to short now because he's always wanted a home run hitter. So, in 82, that's when I got sent down. Rip got called up, and he's playing shortstop because I'm not a home run hitter, and Rip was a home run hitter. So, anyway, Joe Altabelli becomes our manager. So, I look at Becky, and I said, honey, let's go live in Baltimore the winter before we go to spring training in 83. And uh, so we went up there, and we lived in Tippy Martinez's house. He let us stay there. And um, so I'm working out with the team. It's funny. It's so funny. The Orioles would call me every day at front office and say, Bobby, will you speak at this Little League banquet? Will you speak here? So I'm speaking like every night on behalf of Oriole Magic, okay? Now, remember, when the people call for an Oriole, They'll ask for a Jim Palmer first. Right, yeah. But these guys charge pretty good money. So they go, well, how much for Jim Palmer? And they go, well, he's $10,000 an hour. Well, okay, you got – what about Eddie Murray? $5,000 an hour. They go, well, you got anybody that'll do it a little cheaper? And they go, well, Bonner will do it for $200. We want Bonner. <laughs> so <laughs> – So here I am. So I go and I talk about baseball and then I relate it to the gospel. So I'm standing up. So I'm I'm preaching, you know, basically all that, all that winter. And uh, I get a chance to witness to all the coaches. So I'm going to a little league banquet in Pennsylvania and they have a limo show up. It's a long limo. And, and Cal Ripken senior, the dad of Cal junior, and I are going to the Little League banquet to talk, tell stories and sign autographs. So, well, on the way, a blizzard happens. I mean, it hits, but, you know, we're, so people show up. There's still a thousand kids there, you know. So we're staying there. We do our speech. And but when we go to get back, I mean, you're talking about whiteout conditions. I mean, we've got to drive like 15 miles an hour from Pennsylvania all the way back to Baltimore. Wow. Everything's closed. You can't see nothing. I mean, the guy... And in the limo, there's nothing to drink. There's no water. There's no booze. There's nothing. And and Cal Seniors all fidgety, you know. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, thinking to myself, you know, it's going to be about probably three hours before we get back. So I'm thinking, he's got nowhere to go. <laughs> so I just kind of turned to Rip. I said, Rip, what's the matter? And I just, I can't believe everything's closed. I want a beer. And I said, you know what, Rip, I used to be just like you. What do you mean you used to be just like me? I said, well, you're craving an alcohol right now. I said, I bet, I said, I bet you can't sleep without having some. What do you know about it? I said, I know everything about it. I was a drunk. I was a bartender for four years. I know exactly what you're talking You're craving it right now. So I said, let me tell you how to get out of that crave. Let me, let me tell you how to crave something else. Yeah. So I spent the next hour plus giving him the gospel. Come on. So I, and so he just said, no, just sit there. So when I got back to Baltimore, okay, Time for spring training and everything, you know, coming. So I'd always go early to spring training. So I go down to spring training, 83. Cal's playing short. So 
I'm working out at second. I'm working out at third. I'm working out in left field, right field. I'm a utility guy. I still got a big league contract, the whole bit. So I hit 353 spring training. I had a, wow. had a good spring training. And the last day of spring training, Joe Altabelli called me in the office. And he said, Bobby, we're going to send you back down to AAA. He said, you want to know why? And I'm thinking, well, Skip, you moved Rip to short. I'm out of a job. He said, no, that's not why we're calling sending you down. I said, why are you sending me down? He said, you're taking this Jesus thing too far. Mm. I said, what? He said, you make everybody nervous. Nobody wants to be around you. I, I said, let me ask you something, Skip. Do I work hard? Do you have any problems with me being on the field? No, no, we don't. We know you work hard. I mean, I'm the first there, the last to leave. I take 100 extra ground balls every day. I'm in the batting cage. I'm, you know, I, nobody. I, I grew up, Dave. I may not be the fastest. I may not be the strongest, but I'll work harder than anybody yeah and and that's what got me to where i was people telling me my doctor my when i was 17 years old told me i'd be a cripple in two years if i quit if i didn't quit playing and when i got to a&m i got on a weight isometric exercise strengthened my knees and kept on playing all those years at that level and all those ball games on my legs so you don't tell me what i can't do right yeah i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it if if i've got a desire to want to do it so he said, no, we're sending you back down. You know, nobody. So I think what happened was because of my witness to front office, everything. So I got to sit down. So I, I really get mad. I, I'm upset. Hmm. And so I, I really dedicated myself hard. So I started playing really, really well for the Red Wings. And this is like 1st of June, end of May, 1st of June. I come to the ballpark. I'm, I'm playing really well. I mean, I just, you know, and... I came in, my manager calls me in the office and said, Bobby, I got a phone call from the Orioles. You're headed back to the show tomorrow. Hmm. He says, uh, do you want to take tonight off? You don't want to risk getting hurt? Or do you want to you know, play? He says, your choice. I said, well, Skip, I want to play. He said, put me in the lineup tonight. and Because uh, I know when I get to the big leagues, I'm sitting on the bench, I'm the utility guy, I'm the extra guy. So I'm three for three going into my fourth at bat. And a 92-mile-an-hour fastball came right at my face, and I didn't see it to the last second. I just lost it. And I took my right hand off the bat, and I just went like that. Oh. And the ball hit my hand and broke my hand. So I fell on home plate with a displaced fracture. And so as I'm laying on home plate, the first thing that came to my mind was my dad. You see, my dad was dying of cancer in San Antonio, Texas, mm -hmm. Audie Murphy's Veterans Hospital. And I was praying every day that God would give me one more chance to tell my dad about Jesus. I wanted my dad to be saved. My dad wasn't saved yet. So the next day I flew to Baltimore. They put two pins in my hand, put it back together again. They didn't know if I'd ever play ball again. The next day I flew to San Antonio, Texas. I walk into the hotel, uh, hospital room. My dad's delirious. I'm thinking he didn't know who I was. He didn't know who anybody was. He had, he had eaten up with cancer. He was just in so much pain. And uh, I, I just said, I'm too late. I'm too late. And so... I spent the whole afternoon there trying to talk to him. He, had, he was out of it. So I looked at my mom, and I said, I was tired. So she said, let's go to, to uh, my sister's house, my, my aunt's house. So we went over to her house in Hondo, Texas, about an hour away. And I remember that night, Dave, I fell asleep on my knees praying for my dad, mm. begging God. 
to bring my dad back just so I could tell him. And uh, so the next morning we showed up, my mom and I walking down the hall, and I'm in a cast, you know, and the nurse comes out. Oh, Mrs. Bonner, your husband has been sitting up in bed asking for you all morning. Wow. It's just so wonderful. And my mom, pessimist, well, how many drugs did you give him? <laughs> oh, he hasn't had any pain pills whatsoever. He has nothing. He just, as soon as I walked in the door, my dad's sitting up. He looked at me. Hey, son, how you doing? Mm. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So I, I was at his bedside for the next three days and nights with my Bible. He kept saying, son, I, 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 it's just too late for me. I said, no, it's not, Dad. It's not, it's not too late for you. I said, please, Dad. I, I said, he said, son, I'm just going to be worm bait. <laughs> I'm just going to the ground. Worm's going to eat me. I said, dad, 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 come on, man. You've always been a man of faith. You know, faith in fellow man, your faith in the U.S., you know, <laughs> bad as they are, you know. But I said, you've always been a good man, an honorable man. I said, what if there's just one chance, mm. just one in a million chance I'm right and you're wrong? I said, you know, you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Mm. But if I'm right, you got everything to lose. And I want to see you in heaven. Yeah. So he's he's crying. I'm crying. And he said, son, I just need to think about it. So that's the first time he at least said that. I need yeah. to think about it. So the Orioles called. Get back to Baltimore. Start your rehab. I said, man, I'm not even out of cash yet. You know what I mean? Start my rehab, you know. Well, they want me to stay in shape, you know, not just my hand. But so I said, dad, I got to leave. I said, I don't know if I'll be back or not in time to see you again. But, you know. So I left. About three weeks later, I'm laying there with my wife. About 3.30 in the morning, my phone rings. Hmm. Well, you know what you think when the phone rings at 3.30 in the morning. Right, yeah. He's gone. But when I, I got the phone, he said, son. I went, dad? He said, yeah. I said, what are, you, what are you calling for? He said, I just want you to know that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Come on. <laughs> <sighs> Man. I'm crying. My dad is saying words I didn't even know he knew. <laughs> he said, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Mm. I'm so thankful for his mercy. I'm so thankful that he's long-suffering towards me. I'm just so thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm going, this is my dad? He do all that? And so we're talking for a while. And, and then he says, son, I got to go now. Said, I know it's early. I woke you up. I'm sorry. He said, but I got to tell you one more thing. I said, what's that, dad? He said, I love you. Hmm. My dad had never told me that, ever. Now, I knew he loved me. He used, I guess the generation, they just didn't say it. Yeah. But, so the last three words I heard from my dad before he died, he died a month later, but uh, was I love you. And so the Orioles didn't let me go home to his funeral. Mm -hmm. But see, the Orioles wouldn't let me go home to witness to him. It took a... 92-mile-an-hour fastball yeah. to get me there. So all of a sudden, I'm doing rehab. I get my hand well, okay? I'm, I'm playing in Rochester again. I mean, after just weeks. And there's, there's shot courses. Every time I throw the ball, brother, it, it hurts. So man, it was painful, but I could do it. And so I get called back up hmm. to the big leagues. So I played in six ball games for the Orioles, and and uh, so we won the American League East. If you know anything about baseball, '83. <clears throat> so we're going to the playoffs. 
So you can only take 25 guys to the playoffs. So they called me in. They said, Bobby, we, we can't believe you got your hand for a week. But we just don't think you're 100%. So we're going to take this other guy instead of you. But you're still on the team. They put me in line with all the guys to measure me. They took my measurement for a ring in case we win. Uh, they told me they would give me a share of the World Series money. But they said, you can't dress out with the team. You can sit in the stands. You're part of this club. So I sat in the stands. I watched the game. I won, we won the World Series. And uh, I'm jumping up and down. I'm one happy camper. My daddy's in heaven. I got my hand well. I got, I'm getting a big league <clears throat> ring. I'm getting. I can order my truck for the first time. I'll get me a big old four door truck, you know, big old Texas truck, you know. And so I ordered it, and I'm waiting for my bonus to come in, and I'm waiting for, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. It's Christmas time, so I'm thinking, well, it's got to come soon, you know. It's got to come soon, and all of a sudden my phone rings, and it's the Orioles. Bobby, we uh, we met as a front office, and we've decided not to give you a share of the World Series money, and uh, we're not going to give you a ring. Mm. And so I slammed the phone down, and I got mad, and I walked through the house, basically looking up, because I was the only one in the house at the time, and I'm just talking to God out loud. Why? What's going on here? Da, 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 da. I've done everything they asked me to do. My dad's saved. I've seen 69 ballplayers get saved. I've, you know, we've seen hundreds of you know, <clears throat> kids saved in our, in our camps and all this. What's going on? What do you want from me? You know, I've done everything. I, you know that I want to play ball and I want to coach the rest of my life. It's what I love. And, and I go back to the bedroom and I said, well, I'm going to call the Orioles. I call them back and I said, well, if, if, if you're treating me like this, trade me. Hmm. And they go, we can't get anything from you. Nobody wants you. I said, okay, if nobody wants me, give me my unconditional release. Because I had played six seasons for the Orioles. Well, when you sign your first contract, that club has the rights to you for seven years. Hmm. Okay, so I would either have to lay out a year, then I could sign if the Orioles did not give me my release. So the Orioles refused to release me. Oh. So I slammed the phone down again. I'm mad again. I'm walking around. And God's Spirit is speaking to my heart and saying, open my book. Hmm. Open my book. I just opened it up right to John 21. I'm reading the story of Peter and the disciples. You know, and they go fishing. Mm -hmm. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. He speaks to them. They don't even recognize his <clears throat> words until John says, oh, it's the Lord, Peter. And Peter jumped in the water. You know, he's naked and shamed. And so when they get to the shore after catching those fish, Jesus says, come. And then he looks at Peter and he says, Lovest thou me more than these? Yeah. Yeah, Peter was a fisherman when Jesus found him, right? Yeah. I was a ball player when Jesus found me. Hmm. But Peter's name wasn't there. My name was there. So he said, in my spirit, Bobby, do you love me more than baseball? Hmm. They walk away. Now, I got to go back just a little bit. Forgive me for this. But 
1980, when I got to the big leagues for the first time, I'm driving home after the season's over, happy as can be. We take our time. There's no cell phones in those days. So we're taking our time. I pull into the, our house. There's no one there. As soon as I got there, people started showing up, getting out with suits and dresses, and I mean, just coming in with food. And I go, "What's going on?" Well, they had just got back from the graveyard. Hmm. They had buried my brother KK. My brother had died at 36 years of age, wow. with a wife and three kids. And so, in '83, here I am reading those scriptures now, and I remember what my brother said to me. I'm going to go to Africa. Wow. Well, my brother sort of forgot about Africa, and he became a very, very wealthy man overnight. And I don't know. Again, I have no clue why. I mean, they did an autopsy. They just said his heart exploded. Mm. He was in pretty good shape. Young man, 36. So I got down on my knees, and I just said, Lord, forgive me. I do love baseball more than you. Hmm. And Lord, you know, you make a deal with God. I said, I have one year left on my contract. My dad always told me, oh, no man, nothing. Yeah. yeah. So I own one year of my life. So what I'll do, Lord, is I will retire, walk away. Let me be a free agent. And I'm free to serve you the rest of my life. And Lord, I'll even go where my brother said he would go. Wow. So, Brother Dave, I don't know what a call is other than I believe every child of God is called. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. The where is not important. God loves the world. Mm -hmm. It's just how do you get to that place to where God wants you to be? Well, you got to be in the Word. you got to worship Him. you got to walk with Him. He will give you something to do where He wants you to do it. Yeah. And so I forgot all about Africa. I, I made an announcement. I was retiring. They sent me down to AAA. I told at the beginning of the season, I, I called our little press conference, and I said, this is my last season. I'm walking away. And they said, well, you're 27. What do you mean you're walking away? You're in the prime of your life. And I said, no, it's my last year. What are you going to do? I said, well, whatever the Lord wants, I'm walking away in this game. But I'm going to – so the front office called me in. They, what are you doing making this announcement? <laughs> I said, I'm, it's my last year. He said, well, we don't have to play you. I said, that's okay. I'll sit on the bench for a year. I, I, it's my last year. I'm walking away. So they stick somebody else's shortstop in AAA. Hmm. So I'm like a, a bench player just, you know, because everybody loves me in Rochester. So I did a lot of work, charity work there in Rochester. So – so I'm sitting on the bench, or at least the day before the first opening game. Well, the day before, the shortstop gets hurt. <laughs> so I'm in the lineup. The next 20 ball games is short. Well, then the second baseman gets hurt. So I'm 30 ball games playing second base. Then the third baseman gets hurt. So I'm playing third base, 15, 20 games. Then the left fielder gets hurt. I'm in left field. I'm in center field. I'm in right field. I'm back at shortstop. I played every game that year. Wow. I even slid into a base playing the Yankees, and uh, my knee popped out of joint. I mean, just my kneecap went over to the side, and I'm, I'm just oh, the pain was unbelievable. And my trainer came out real quick and popped it back in place for me. So I got up and I, I asked the Lord just real quickly. I said, Lord, I don't want to go out with an injury. I want to go out because it was 
my decision to serve you. Yeah. So I played the rest of the game. They drained my knee after the sur- after the game, and then the next day they had to drain it again. Then I was in the lineup that next night. Wow. So I didn't miss a game. And um, the team voted me MVP that year. And at the end of the season, I had five major league clubs call me and offer me contracts. At 28, I walked away. Wow. Now, in your book, you call that getting traded, right? I got, I got traded, man. You got traded. I got traded. I got, I got traded to the best team ever, man. But not to the. I'm Do- on the winning side. So not, I, not to the Dodgers. Not no. to the Royals. Not to the Yankees. Uh, to Zambia. I got, I got traded into the kingdom of God. Man. Yeah. Not Oriole Kingdom. <laughs> I got traded into the kingdom of God. So yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. And, and you know, the devil loves after you make a, any commitment to God. Mm-hmm. The deceiver, the liar comes in and tries to throw a monkey wrench in it. Right. So I didn't, really didn't know what I was going to do. I played a double header in September on a Sunday. Monday morning, I'm in a classroom teaching school in high school. What? Yes, Christian school teacher. My pastor said, what are you going to do? Like in August. In August, George, Dr. George Grace comes to me and said, Bobby, you're retiring. What are you going to do? I said, man, I, I don't know. He said, you don't have anything planned? I said, God's got something. I know he's got something. He said, how would you like to come to work in our Christian school? You have a secular education. I said, yeah. And he said, okay, Monday morning after you play the doubleheader. So I taught five classes in high school, okay? <laughs> and so I, I, I coached varsity girls soccer coach because I got four daughters, so they thought I was qualified for soccer. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm coaching basketball. I'm, co- I'm starting a baseball program. My, I'd never had a baseball team at North Star Christian mm-hmm. Academy. So I had the first year, they had 10 guys out there. Only two guys could catch without getting hurt. I'm serious. <laughs> that was it. So we got, we got 10 run ruled every game. You talk about a humble experience that first year, you know. But uh, we started that program, and we started a sports ministry through our church, and, and God blessed. But uh, here it is, September, I'm teaching school, right? So I teach, I teach, I teach. January, February, March, April comes, beginning of baseball season. The Rochester Red Wings, the AAA Farm Club for the Orioles, they come into town. They lose their first 10 ball games. I'm at school. Mm. My phone rings. I happened to be on break in between classes in a little office there. And it was Bob Gone, the general manager for the Rochester Red Wings. And he said, Bobby. I said, yeah. He said, hey, would you consider coming back and playing? I said, Bob, I haven't picked up a ball since September. I mean, you know, he said, yeah, but we got a couple guys hurt, so we got to make some trades, we got to make some call-ups, and you're here in town, and I know you're a good – would you be willing to come out Saturday and take some batting practice and ground balls just to see if you still got it? Mm. I said, all right, I'll come out this Saturday. So I was kind of curious. So I went out and took ground balls for about an hour and hit for about an hour, and Bob calls me in the office and said, here's a contract. I said, Bob, I can't sign that contract. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm teaching school. He said, when's school out? I said, 3.30. He said, you don't have to come to any of the practice. Just show up at the game. Wow. I said, what? I said, yeah, but you guys go on road trips. I, our school's not out till June. He goes, you don't have to go on any of the road trips. I said, wait a minute. You want me to play AAA level baseball. I don't have to go to practice. I don't have to go on the road trips. At my own convenience, I said, how much are you going to pay me to do this? He thought, he said, how about $3,000 a month? 
Wow. I said, you're going to pay me $3,000 a month to play 15 days because 15 days are on the road. And, and you're, he said, yeah. I said, I need to pray about it. So I went in to talk to my pastor, of course, give me some godly wisdom. I'm making $900 a month with a wife, stay-at-home mom, two, three kids, another one on the way. I got a $500 house payment. I'm tithing $100. I mean, you got fuel, you got gas, you got pills. And I mean, it's penny to penny, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just trusting God for a lot of that. So $3,000 extra a month, I'm thinking, okay, April, May, June, July, August, September. You're going to give me $18,000. I mean, that's more than I'm making the whole year, mm-hmm. you know, just to play half of that time. So it's pretty tempting, right? I mean, you think about it. And then George looks at me and he goes, well, sounds good to me. <laughs> if I was you, I would take it because you're not getting a raise. You know, we can't <laughs> afford you. So I went, so I said, Bob called, gone. And he uh, said, Bobby, I got I to gotta make a decision. We got guys hurt. We're playing with, you know, not enough teammates, so. I said, give me two more days. So I fasted for two days, and God took me to the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. I love the book of Deuteronomy. That's my my favorite book. I love the Bible, but I love Deuteronomy. It's the most quoted book by in the New Testament by mm-hmm. Jesus. So I'm in chapter 13 at the time. I'm reading it. Verse 1 says, If there arise a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder come to pass wherever he spake unto thee, let us go after other gods and serve them. Verse 3 says, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, because the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Mm. So I went in the next day face to face with Bob, and I said, Bob, I came in face to face. I didn't call you. I wanted to let you know that I cannot sign that contract, that I love Jesus more than this game. And he said, you want more money? And I said, no, Bob, you don't understand. I said, I I do love this game, but I love Jesus. Mm. And Jesus does not want me in this game. And as I turned around and walked away, it was almost like I got saved all over again. The peace of God flooded my soul. You say, Bobby, do you have any bitterness? Absolutely not. I, I, it was the peace, the direction. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I was, I, I was still saved. I knew God had a plan. I didn't know where, mm. and uh, so that was that was kind of cool. That was uh, yeah, that's amazing. That was a Mark eight. You know, I talked about it on Wednesday about you know that blind man, how God touched him the second time to give him understanding. Yeah, and I knew at that moment that even though I love ball and all that and I'll go to ball games today I got no problem with that but it's not a God in my life anymore right yeah I have one God his name is Jesus so you know praise the Lord